remember Charlie Orozco goes in for a surgery tomorrow. Uh, had surgery a few years back, and uh, he's going back. Let us be praying as a church that God will raise him up like he did before and uh, restore him to play his instrument another 10 years at least. And so be praying for him and be praying for uh, Joe Lee as she's living with an aging husband who turned 77 today. Happy birthday, Malcolm. Happy birthday. Uh, pray for Joe that she knows how to manage him. Believe me, she does. Believe me. She's Italian power, so pray for Malcolm. Uh, turn, if you will. We're so glad to have Phil Chin and his wife. John, thank you for the report, John. And uh, thank God for the privilege we can partner with many uh, parts of God's church throughout the world. Thank God for that. Turn to Mark uh, chapter 14. <clears throat> the meaning, the reason why we take the Lord's Supper. It's called communion, the Lord's Supper. If you're an Episcopalian, it's Eucharist, which is a good word, Thanksgiving. Uh, and uh, I think something that's very interesting I don't know your tradition, but I grew up uh, where communion was seldom taken, uh, maybe twice a year uh, in the church I went to. We did not take it that often. Uh, and then if you grow up Roman Catholic, you probably were used to it every week, uh, uh, though you didn't know what you were doing except uh, having Christ crucified again because he actually turned the Jews into real blood and the communion became a form of penance and a form of forgiveness. Uh, so for no matter the traditions, I don't know that we, why would the Lord institute something that he says you can never take too much and that he commanded you to do it and to remember him if it was something that uh, would be ritual, something that you do uh, with a, what I would call uh, mysticism about it. And uh, we want to see what Jesus said and hopefully unpack some language for you that says, why do we do this? What are we supposed to be experiencing? So Mark 14, verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, 14th of Nisan, Yom Kippur, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Prepare for us there. The disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they, re and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the twelve 
as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, Surely not I. And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. <clears throat> While they were eating, he took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What is going on? First of all, the Jewish Passover, going on for over 1,400 years by this time, the Exodus around 1445 B.C. So for over 1,400 years, the Jewish people were taking Passover. And when they took Passover, what were they doing? They were entering into, by way of memory and by way of spiritual uh, oh, scripting, as it were, take all of the herbs, and they would remember their bitter afflictions down in Egypt. Now, remember, the Jews there, none of them had ever been in Egypt, necessarily. None of them had been with Moses. But everything at the Passover was a reminder of Exodus 12, a Passover lamb, the herbs, the diet, everything was a historical reminder. Remember our history. Remember our affliction. Remember God's great deliverance of us from Pharaoh. Remember that the blood of a lamb got us enough protection to keep the death angel from visiting our house and sparing our firstborn son. It was full of meaning. It was not just a meal. It was not just certain herbs. You had to tell the story. You had to get in that story. And of course, if you were Jewish, this is the story of my people. We came from this to this. Never, never forget it. Christ, in the midst of that tradition, introduces himself as the Passover lamb, introduces himself as the true bread from heaven. And instead of taking it once a year, he's going to institute something that he says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. How often did they take it? In the book of Acts, every day. Eventually, they took it on the Lord's day of every week. So it was something he said, this is not a once a year memory. This is a continual thing. I want us to remember three things as we come to the Lord's table. I often pray about a service, and I'll pray this way. 
Lord, be present. Make your presence real. Let us sense your presence. What's very interesting, when you take communion, it's automatic that he's present. He is the host of the meal. It'd be like you saying, come to my house for dinner, and I'm praying that you'll show up. The Lord Jesus himself said, this is my meal for you. I instituted this, and so the host of our meal is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful thing that comes right out of Psalms 23. The first part of the psalm, he's saying, you don't dwell with the wicked. You meditate on my law day and night. I'm shepherding you. I'm leading you besides quiet waters. I'm, but the second half of Psalms 23, he's not acting as the shepherd, but as the host. He prepares a table before me. He anoints my head. He's throwing a banquet for me in the middle of my enemies. The Lord Jesus, I believe, hosts this meal. Second thing, and this is where you've got to listen, and you've got to discern it. He happens to be the feast at the meal. He wants us to come and feast on all the implications of his body that came and was given. He wants us to feast on the concept that his blood made the new covenant and that we, according to John 6, he said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, unless you drink his blood, now, wait a minute. These Jewish boys don't drink blood. They understood implicitly when he said, this is my body. His body was here, and he puts out the bread. This is my body. Do you think they thought that was the real physical body of Christ? No, no. Christ was not introducing cannibalism because they're already building on a memorial feast a memorial of going back to Egypt. So when he said, this from now on represents my body, and taking the cup, this will represent a new covenant I make with my people based upon the shedding of my blood, and it will purchase forgiveness for my people. So what he's really saying is come and feed on the reality of who I am. And let these external symbols prompt in you memory and feeding on the risen Christ. They, they had a great debate in church history over that little statement, this is my body. Rome said this because they were influenced by Aristotle who said that you had real metaphysical and you could change things. And so they said that when the priest, and only the priest could do it, if he prayed over the cup uh, before the people, that as he prayed and said a certain prayer, all of a sudden what was in the cup became the real blood of Christ. How many of you grew up with that? Oh, you good Catholic folks. Sure. And because they had a philosophy in Aristotle that you could change metaphysically certain things, and that it appears like wine or juice, but with the prayer of the priest, a miracle happened. Trans, 
substantiation. He transferred this into the real blood of Christ. And so uh, the debate starts. Luther stepped away from Rome, and he said, no, 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 it doesn't turn to blood, but Christ is right next to it. He's with it, consubstantiation. He's with it, he's under it, he's next to it. So when you drink in some way in Luther's theology, you just ingested Christ because he's next to the element. Well, you had two other reformers that, no, they didn't think that. One was Swingley out of Swiss, Switzerland. And he said, no, they're memorials. They're, nothing happens to the juice. Nothing happens to the bread. They're just reminders. Just like the herbs at Passover, just like the meal, everything was symbolic. Everything was pointing to a, a storyline for Israel. So Swingley said it's a memorial. Calvin said, no, no, no. It's got to be more than that. It's more than a memorial. Behind the memorial is a real, real truth. And Calvin said, Christ in reality is behind the symbol. He said, I know his body is in the third heaven. He, he, he's not in the cup. He's not in the bread. His real body's up there. We don't bring his body down to communion. But he said, because you and I are united to the body of Christ. How many of you know that? That you literally in God's sight are a member of the body of Christ, and he the head is up in the third heaven. Do any of you know that? Did you feel yourself all of a sudden become a member of his body? No. It's a biblical truth. It's a union that's so real that even when we sin, 1 Corinthians 6 says, whatever you do with your body, you involve Christ. Even if it's sleeping with a prostitute. Shall I take the members of Christ and join them to a prostitute? God forbid but there's the reality. We are members of his body. We're in union with him. So Calvin said, it's more than symbolic. In some way, the real Christ attends this meal and is behind these substances. So in a spiritual way, in the union of Christ's way, he would say, don't make it just a memorial Make it, there's a reality. The best way I could illustrate that is uh, you take a, a wedding ring. Uh, it, it, you know, we know what that is, but let me tell you, that, that's a far cry right there from 47 years of marriage. That's a far cry. I don't want to tell you what Carolyn paid for this. Bought it at a hardware store, I think. Really, you know, I don't know, made it out of nails or something. She was nailing me down. Uh, started going with her in 62. Any of you born then? Okay, yeah. Three of you young people. Uh, 62 to now, that's 50 years kissing on the same girl. 
And if you, if you think that ring is my marriage, you just don't understand. It's only a symbol of something far greater. And this is a symbol of a reality far greater than anything you can imagine. And if you just think you're taking a little bit of cracker and a little bit of juice, Jesus said in, when he told Paul, you must discern the Lord's body. You must enter into it mentally. What is behind this? When I see this, I see the cross. I see a new covenant. I see forgiveness. I see everything he bought me on the cross, and he accomplished at least 22 things on the cross. They're all mine because behind the cup is the reality of the cross. When I take this cracker, and it's a little bit of, we try to get real biblical. We got Jewish matzah, and I don't know how they survived on it. I'd have to eat it hot because this stuff kind of is dry. I mean, but it's better than the foam we used to be give you. I, we used to give a loaf of bread, and we broke it off. That's my favorite because we're members of a loaf. But what Christ did in this upper room, he said, besides I'm the host and I'm the feast, he said, I'm the covenant maker. And what is startling in the narrative is that before he says that, he predicts Judas will ultimately fall away from him and betray him. He'll break covenant. Then he tells Peter and the disciples, you will break covenant and leave me temporarily. For even this night you will all flee. And in the middle of the failure of Judas and the coming failure of Peter and the disciples, guess what he does? He makes a covenant that he will never break in the middle of all the unfaithfulness of these men. I will make a covenant that will cost me my life, but I will make it, and I will keep it. And it's my death on the cross that I want, when you take the cup, you remind yourself that I've made a new covenant with my people, that I will die for their sins, that the true Messiah has come to make atonement. I am Messiah of Isaiah 53. I am the Messiah of, Messiah of Psalms 22. I am Messiah of Psalms 16. I am the Messiah of Psalms 110. I am the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. I have come, and I will make a covenant, and I will keep it. I will not break it. I can keep covenant. Now, six things as we partake we need to do. Number one, this is to be a memory jotter. Remember me. Remember not just the Sermon on the Mount. Remember my humanity and remember my death that formed this marvelous covenant that we find that we're new covenant people. God has inscribed on our heart has made this covenant in blood by his son. So, remember, that's why we do this. Uh, I don't know about you, but I would think, especially if I wasn't in the church and on a secular job all week where it's all about money, work, paper, do, do, I would think if I were you, and not privileged to be around church work all the time. You help me. I think it would be easy to forget him 
in all of the paperwork, busyness, raising kids, commute traffic, life, life has a way of blotting out the memory. Or what we often do, I know some people who remember everything they should have forgot and forgot everything they should have remembered. I'm scared to death of one more, one more document or one more account that I've got to give them a secret password. And now I'm tracking down which one did I give. Anybody do that? Thank you. We need reminders. Two, it's a communion. He says a verse we seldom use in communion today is 1 Corinthians 10. He's warning them about going to an idol's temple because they're having fellowship with idols. Uh, and they are uh, uh, socializing with demons because behind the idolatry are demonic powers. And he's telling them, cut out your idolatry. And he speaks in verse 16, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? There's where we get our word communion. The word sharing is a Greek word koinonia. It means partnership, participation, sharing in. And he said, we are celebrating that we are sharing in a partnership with Christ. We are now members of his body. We are now partakers of his blood. We've been, it's been applied to our heart. So he says, hey, we share in the blood of Christ. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. All believers of Christ make this one loaf, make this one body. That's why division among Christians is a heartbreaking, uh, Christ-dishonoring witness because we're one people. We're in one loaf, in one body. So it's not only a remembrance, it's a celebration of a partnership we've entered into, and we call it communion. Uh, thirdly, it's called a Thanksgiving meal, and thus you get the word Eucharist. Eucharist means Thanksgiving. And the Episcopalians and those of a more high church tradition will say we're going to take the Eucharist, a good word. Uh, it comes right out of Scripture that it is uh, used in Matthew 26, 26. So it's a time to give thanks for the covenant made and for the lamb that died. I think uh, it's marvelous that we celebrate, really, a covenant. This is a covenant sign. When God made a covenant with Noah, what was the sign of it? Rainbow. When he made a covenant with Abraham, what was the sign? Circumcision. Circumcise your boys on the eighth day. That's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. Other nations circumcised, but that didn't matter. This became the sign of that covenant. Uh, what about uh, when they made the Mosaic covenant? What became the sign? The law, but I think primarily the Sabbath. Uh, no people had ever been given one specific day, like the Sabbath is the day. That was a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. 
of course, prescribed in the law. When you come over here, the new covenant, what's the sign of it? The body and the blood. And we just lift up some reminders after a while. And we want you to go in your heart and your memory to celebrate a body given and blood shed. And he's made a covenant with you that he will not break. He will not break it. It's a covenant. Marvelous. Two other things that we'll take communion. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 11. He says that uh, in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread. Notice he didn't say, just take it once a month. People often ask, how often should you take it? As often as you'll remember. As often as we like. There's nothing that says we are restricted on it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Isn't that amazing? You get to be involved in a message today, and in some way, these are spiritual realities. You're not aware of this, that you're going to be in a proclaiming memorial any moment when we take the bread and the juice. You're going to be involved from God's point of view. You're shouting out, my son's death and my son's life, his body given. It, it's a proclamation. And how long do you do this? Until he comes. You remember what he said in that upper room? I won't drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drank it with you in my kingdom. Um, we went over last night. My wife's aunt just passed away. She's been fighting ovarian cancer now for 11 years. A beloved aunt, pastor's wife. When Carolyn was a teenager, she grew up in that church, and her aunt and uncle gave her refuge. They were wonderful, wonderful Christians. And... Uh, when we saw that corpse last night, uh, when, when you see the person move out and there's just the tent, you, you just wonder, wow, is that them? And I thought, no, that's their tent. The body doesn't equal you. There's a lot more to you than a body. And when the spirit and soul separate from the body, we call that death. But you know what I think is wonderful? The next time we get to see Christ, uh, now I think if you died today, you don't start the marriage supper of the Lamb. Sorry, you got to wait. Because Christ, eventually at the end of time, when the redeemed are gathered to heaven, he said, we're going to start eternity with the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm going to pick up the chalice. I'm going to pick up, I'm going to serve communion again. And before you will be Christ serving communion and as we start the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to start eternity not feeling guilty, not uh, the tuck head looking for the slum on one of the streets of gold. We're going to be there, and Christ is going to throw a party for his bride. Are you aware that you're engaged? We haven't been married yet, but when we get married, he's going to throw a party that's going to last for eternity. Because this is just a foretaste. This is just a sampling. And uh, I think of Moise Rosen. He said the first time he heard they were going to take the Lord's Supper, uh, just saved out of a uh, uh, Jewish background. And uh, 
he, he heard supper. Moist like to eat. So he got his best suit, dressed up fancy. I don't know if it was a tux. He wore his best. He went there that night, and when he comes in the building, he's sniffing for the food. <laughs> and he's waiting, you know, where is it? And all of a sudden, the pastor's up praying over some matzah and some little shots of Welch's so we don't offend anybody. He grew up on the real shot. And, and he said, what is this? Where's the supper? I see no supper here. The supper is the host is here, and he's calling you to come feed on him. And behind the symbol is a real person. And he said, I want you to feed on me, but someday when I drink the cup with you again, I'll give you the feast of all eternity when the bride is around the throne, and you'll want to know in your heart, did I remember him when he was absent? Did I proclaim him when I could? Did I anticipate with hope seeing him in this marriage supper? Have I celebrated the covenant he made? Have I been participating in the fellowship? That's what we're going to do today. When we take communion, it's a real participation in Christ, but you have to engage your mind, and you must discern what you're doing. Don't take it by rote. Don't take it by ritual. Take it with reality alone. Christ is behind the elements. He's not the elements, but he's behind them. Amen? Amen. We want our brothers to come, and we're going to prepare to serve you. Communion, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to partake. If you're here and you're not a believer, you don't feel comfortable, all you got to do is pass it. Just pass it. And nothing will be said. Only believers in Christ.